0: Amen. Today, we will be in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. You would join me as I read. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there, and making a whip Of course, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remember that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Verse 18. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the Scripture, and the word that Jesus had spoken. Verse 23, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people, and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So when we think about who Jesus is, we usually think about the meek, mild, loving, caring, merciful and graceful God. Which he is all those things. Even the non-believer has an idea who God is, who Jesus is, and how he should act. There's even some people out there who have this picture of this long haired blue eyed, Hipster, hippie Jesus, who is weak and skinny and not strong at all, and just kind of a blah. People think that's who Jesus is. But that's not the Jesus that we're going to talk about today. That's not who he is. In our section today, we're going to see Jesus is different. Jesus gets mad. Jesus gets angry. But I want you to see this. This is still who Jesus is. He is still who he says he is. You've heard the term Jesus is love. You've heard that? That's true. But Jesus is also wrath. Wrath. Today in our passage, we're going to see a different Jesus that seems to be sometimes forgotten in our sermons, sometimes forgotten in our teachings. People don't like to talk about Jesus getting mad. It doesn't fit for them. It's not what they want to hear. It's not a popular subject. But it is my job up here as I preach to you, I've called you this, is to speak the whole truth of who Jesus is. Not just what makes you happy, but the whole of who Jesus is. Now I want to kind of look at our setting for a minute before we jump into things. Uh, So we are at Passover time. This is an important time for Israel. This is the most important holiday in the Jewish uh, religion. We see they celebrate Passover uh, where they uh, celebrated their firstborn babies being saved for not being killed. They put blood over the posts of their doors. If you didn't do this, your firstborn died. This is a big deal. Every adult male living within 15 miles of Jerusalem was required to attend Passover. Jerusalem, in a normal time of normal living, had anywhere from hundred to 300,000 people. But at the time of Passover, they would have 1 million people. And Josephus would go on to say it would be as big as possibly 2.7 million people. Imagine going from 100,000 to 2.7 million. Josephus also went on to say around 250,000 animals would be there to be offered as sacrifices. 250,000 animals. So as the norm would be, if you came to Passover, when you would arrive there, you would go first to the temple, you would pay a tax, and then you would offer your sacrifice to worship God. That's what you would do. It would cost you a half a shekel, which many scholars believe is three days' work of wage, your three days' worth of what you worked. And there would be no Greek or Roman currency allowed. And when it came to the animals, you got to think about these people come from long distance, wouldn't always be able to bring their ox, their sheep, all these animals with us to be sacrificed. So, they couldn't bring them with them. So, they would need to get an animal somewhere. So, the selling of sheep, oxen, and pigeons in itself wasn't bad. There was animals there for them to buy. That in itself isn't sinful. Again, these people were traveling from far away, so their currency wouldn't be the same. They would need money changing. Just like when we go to a foreign country, you have to exchange money. And they would have that there for them. Again, that in itself, money changing isn't wrong. It isn't sinful. But as we always see in the Bible, people always screw things up. They weren't doing the right things. These salesmen and money changers were ripping people off. They were extorting them of their money. They were doing this by selling animals the wrong way, changing money the wrong way. I told you it could be possibly 2.7 million people, possibly 250,000 animals. You think these people were rolling in the money? They were were making tons and tons of money. Tons and tons of money. So in order to have the perfect sacrifice, you needed to have an animal without blemish. It needed to be perfect. So if you brought your own animal, it would have to be inspected by... The Jewish leaders. Now, let me ask you a question. The priest, they would examine this animals. Let me, let me ask you a question. Do you think that they were going to approve that animal? More times than not, they didn't approve it. So guess what they had to do? They had to go buy an animal, buy their animal. Now, do you think their animals would pass the test? They would. But at a way, way higher price. Put it this way, if you bought a bird outside of the temple, it would cost you in our, I'm converting this to our money, 15 cents. If you bought it inside a temple, it cost you $15. Talk about inflation. 15 cents to $15. It's just like when you go to a baseball game, you can buy a hot dog at the store for a dollar, and it's $9 at the ballpark. So we can all see the temple is not in a good place. The temple is not what it's supposed to be. The temple is not how God wanted it to be. This sets up Jesus making his way to the temple. There are two reasons why Jesus went to the temple. The first reason, because of his obedience to his father and to the law. Galatians 4.4 tells us, he was born under the law the second reason to look and see the state of the temple and of israel we see with jesus he deliberately disobeyed all the man made traditions by the pharisees they were man made they weren't from god they were man made but as he always did he obeyed all of god's law he was supposed to go to the temple so he did So when Jesus arrives at the temple, it's not the way it's supposed to be. Think about this for a minute. You're Jesus, you walk into the temple, and you see this mess. We see that it is a glorified flea market, a place of business. The temple has become this. Look at verse 14. It says, in the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. So the question is, what did Jesus see? He saw a mess. He walks in and sees his father house and it is turned into a mess. He sees people overselling animals. He sees people getting ripped off. He sees the temple being defiled. This is what Jesus sees. See in verse 14, the word found. In the Greek, it means eureka moment. He walks in and then it his eureka moment to see his father's house being defiled. What a mess. So now we see Jesus is living. Think about when your dad used to get mad at you. You see the veins popping out of his neck. His, his nostrils were flaring. His heart was pounding. You guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody been there? I'm a dad. I've been there. That's what Jesus He is livid. He is ready to take out the whole religious establishment by himself. Nobody else is going to do it but him. He saw what has become of the temple and he was rightfully angry. He sees how bad it is and what has become. Revelation 114 talks about his eyes were like a flame of fire. He sees and peers into the hearts of the people at the temple. He sees inside them and sees their hearts. And he sees and knows how their hearts are. Let me tell you, he sees and peers into the hearts of every church around the world, all the people in these churches, he sees your hearts. He sees that the, the churches who have become a business. He sees the churches who have had laser and smoke shows. He sees them. He sees churches who have slides into the baptistries. He sees these churches who have become a business. He sees those churches who bring cars in to pretend they are to drive in movie. He sees that they become a business. Well I'm telling you, all those things are true. Every single church that I talk about is true. But most importantly, he sees the churches who are selling a different gospel and a different Jesus. He sees the people who are ripping people off. He sees the people who are extorting the gospel. He sees that. He sees their hearts. We have covered what he saw. Now let's look at what he did. What did Jesus do? He cleaned house. Let's look at verse 15 and 16. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away, do not make my father's house a house of trade. Now let's look at the first part of verse 15. Now, he took time to make a whip. Now, I want you to think about when you get mad, all of us in here get mad, do you have time to make a whip? I want you to think about this. Okay, so he had to look around and find uh, strands to make a whip. All this while he's being mad, think about when you're mad, do you have time to find stuff and make a whip? Who in here can do that when you're mad? I can't. He took time to make a whip. He didn't fly off the handle. He didn't lose control. He didn't lose his cool. Some people will say, well, he flipped out. No, he took time to make a whip. Again, this is not the Jesus who a lot of people think him to be. We also tend to have this idea that Jesus doesn't care what I do. Jesus doesn't care what I do at all. I can do whatever I want. He doesn't care. This shows you he cares. He cares what you do. I want you to also see, I learned this in my studies. We see that he doesn't let the birds loose or become lost. He didn't get rid of the money. They could have picked it up off the ground. And animals he drove out could be collected again. He wanted to make his point. He made his point clearly. His point is, do not turn a place of worship into a business, into an emporium. Emporium is a place where you can make an easy and quick buck. That's his point. Don't turn the house of God into a place of business. Again, Jesus is angry. But the question is, well, how can Jesus be angry? That doesn't fit the model. How can Jesus be angry? These three points, I, I, I love these and I learned these in my studies as well. It says, first point, we have to see genuine love is compatible with anger. Second point, genuine love is sometimes demonstrated by anger sometimes anger proves love is authentic for example i could declare my love for my wife but if you saw me sit back and yawning and not caring when someone hurt her would you believe that my love for her was real and that i loved her would you believe that i loved her Jesus' love for his father was real. It wasn't phony, but real. He didn't set back. His love for his father fueled his anger. His anger at the corruption of the temple. Again, he's not us. He is in control of his emotions. He knows exactly why he's mad. He knows exactly why he is angry and displays it, this is the key, without sinning. He is angry because they have desecrated his father's house. The temple was built. It was dedicated to God. Solomon said it was an exalted temple for him, a place for God's dwelling forever. 1 Kings 8.13 says, I have indeed built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. The temple went from a place where prayers were said and heard to the sounds of people getting ripped off. That's how far we have come. They have ruined the temple. The temple has been ruined. Jesus is calling out the corrupt worship that was going on in the temple. Ken Hughes says it like this, the way we worship reveals what we think of God. What did these people think of God that were in the temple? What did they think of him? They didn't think of him rightly. But Jesus thought rightly of God. He understood the holiness, the power, and the authority of God. He understood that rightly. This is why he was so passionate about what he did. It was his father's house. This act of Jesus was an authoritative act, a strong act. There was no time to repent. There was no second chances at this time. dealt with the sin that he saw. He dealt with that sin that he saw right there. He dealt with it. When he calls out God as his father, he is stressing his authority to protect God's house. He is stating his, his only, his exclusive place as the eternal son of God. That's what Jesus is doing here. So, next point, what did Jesus feel? Verse 17, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So we're going to look at what is zeal and what is consume. Zeal from the Greek is xylos, which is where we see fiery, fire in your belly. We see the word consume means to be eaten up with something, devoured, or overtaken and controlled by suffering pain. You feel it so deeply. We have zeal and consume. So the disciples remember Psalm 69 9, a messianic psalm. We see with David, who most believe wrote this psalm, was consumed with zeal for the temple. David was consumed, remember consumed, with zeal for the temple. So what, guess what, the greater David. Jesus, Jesus is the greater David. David had his anger at the people because they were desecrating the temple as well. He was committed to his father. Look at the second part of Psalm sixty nine nine talks about, And the reproach, reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. David is saying, Whoever blasphemes God against God, it falls on him because he is so identified with God, his God. But this points more to Jesus, who has eaten up with zeal, who is first consuming him, the glory of God, because they are blaspheming the glory of God. They're not honoring his Father. He has more zeal and is consumed more with it than David. Going back to what we said earlier, we have to remember God is love and God is hate. Psalms 5.4 says, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. Psalms 11.7 says, for the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. We have to see God hates sin. God hates how the temple was. God hates those who trample on his glory of his own name. Next thing we see, so Jesus gave them what they wanted. Verses 18 through 20. So Jesus said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? The religious leaders were outraged. They were like, who do you think you are? Coming here and doing what you did. What gives you that authority? They're challenging Jesus' authority. They wanted a sign. So guess what? Jesus gave them one. He says, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. They want a sign of his authority. That's what these religious leaders want. So pretty much saying this in Laman's terms, they're going to have to knock down the temple and see if he will rebuild it in three days. Jesus is laying out like, how bad do you truly want a sign? How bad do you want it? Go ahead, knock it down. I will rebuild it. They missed it. They missed the sign. But the disciples understood this sign of his authority is his zeal. The zeal that consumes him for the passion that he has for his father's house. But Jesus here wasn't talking about the temple. He was talking about his body. Verses 21 and 22 says, But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. What I want us to do is, I want us to see that there are connections between Jesus and the temple. The temple is where God met man. But Jesus is God, and through him, God has came to man in a new and unique way. A way far better than the temple. Far, far better than the temple. The temple is where sacrifices were offered for sin. We talked about this. You had to have an animal to sacrifice for your sins. But Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect, unblemished sacrifice. The sacrifice offered once and for all for our sins, past, present, and future. You don't have to do this over and over again. But he did it once and for all. But the sign was when the Jewish leaders had torn his body, beat him, spat on him, punished him, hung him on a tree, and killed him. But the sign is that on the third day, he would raise himself up. He was no longer dead, but he was alive. John 10, 17-18 says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. His resurrection is the ultimate sign of his authority, the ultimate sign. This is the primary truth of this passage. Jesus talked about his body and the tearing down of it. His body was and is the true temple of God. This is where we get redemption from. It's through Jesus. As I asked the band to come up. As I stated before, I don't want to rip you off. I don't want to sell you a different Jesus or a different Bible. I don't want to do that. But I have to tell you, all belief in him, all faith in him isn't real. There are people maybe sitting in here that don't have real faith. There's people in this world who don't. Jesus tells us that in verse 23 through 25. Not everyone has real faith. But the thing is, Jesus is the only one who sees your heart. He knows how man is. He's the only one that can look and see in your heart if it is real or not. I can't, you can't. But Jesus can. He sees what's in there. He sees what you don't see. 1 John 3:20 says, "For wherever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything." He knows your heart perfectly. There's nothing in your heart he doesn't know. He knows if your heart is pure. He knows if it is true. He knows if you are following him or not. He knows if your faith is real. He sees those hearts who are hurting. He sees those hearts who are down and out. He sees those. He sees the hearts that are suffering. He sees those who have doubt. He sees those who have doubted Him. If, he, if they doubt and see if Jesus is real, He sees that. And guess what? He saw every single person of that temple. He saw their hearts. He saw deep in their hearts. And guess what? He died for people just like the people at the temple. He died for people like that. He died for people like me and you who constantly disobey him, who have rebelled against him. He died for people like you and me. He died for the sick. He died for those who are lost and can be found in him. Not everyone will accept the gospel. That's the truth. Not everybody's going to heaven. Those who reject Christ will spend eternity, eternal separation from God in hell. That's what's going to happen. That's me being honest with you. That's lo- me trying to love you, that, in fact to show you the truth that there is a hell that is real. But as Charles Spurgeon would say, we are saved through faith, but salvation is by grace Sound forth those words as with archangel's trumpet. By grace we are saved. What glad tidings for the undeserving. By his grace that we can have eternal life through him. If we repent of our sins, confess to our mouth that he is Lord, and by grace through faith we can live with him forever. Let us pray.